Coffee, Cows, and Crops is produced by the Peace Country Beef and Forage Association and hosted by Extension Coordinator Johanna Murray. On this podcast, we discuss management practices and research results with scientists, ranchers, researchers, and farmers. We strive to share innovative information and farming practices supported by sound science and practical wisdom. So grab a cup of coffee and let's get learning. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Coffee, Cows, and Crops. On today's episode, I'm talking to Jeff Bechtel, rancher and coordinator of the Carnivores and Communities Program in the Waterton Biosphere in Southwest Alberta. Today, we're going to be chatting about the control and management of carnivores on farms and on ranches. But before we get into all that fun stuff, Jeff, would you like to introduce yourself and tell me a bit about how you got started with the Carnivores and Communities Program? Sure, and thanks for thanks for having me on today. Um, so yeah, uh, like you mentioned, uh, uh, we ranch here um, south of Cardston. Our place is just three miles north of the border. Um, my wife Liz and Liz and I and our five kids here run about two hundred cows uh, on owned and rented land here. Um, we're just east of Highway Two. Um, of course, there's always been grizzly bears around and then wolves and other things, but uh, more so the last number of years. And in my family's history, we just didn't see them on our place. Um, but I think we, we first started seeing grizzly bears here on our land in about 1993. And a few years after that, we had our first uh, suspected grizzly bear kill. Um, and these things just, it, it started out as a bit of a, a one-off and a novelty, but it it uh, became apparent that it was going to be our new normal. Um, and and you know, for some people, they'd always had these issues, but but for for me, this was something new, and for many others in our community. And so we started seeing community members get together to try and address the the issues, um, both in the Cardston area and uh, north of Waterton Park in Twin Butte and Pincher Creek. And, and so a lot of community members were getting together um, with Fish and Wildlife and, and others to try and put their heads together and find ways to address this, this new and emerging problem. And like I said, it's not that it was new to everybody. Some people have always dealt with it, but, uh, but it was an increasing problem. So it brought a lot of people together. And so uh, there was a number of community meetings got held in the early 2000s and up to 2010 and in there. And um, then uh, the province began supporting some of these initiatives um, a little more consistently rather than just sort of on an ad, ad hoc basis. And in 2011, um, the province approached the Water from Biosphere, which by then I was uh, on the board of directors. And uh, we were approached to see if the, the Biosphere would take over um, a large grant to, to help producers in Southwest Alberta with with large carnivore issues. And, and so that's how I got involved a little bit. Awesome. So one of the big things we talk about a lot when we start discussing predators like bears and wolves and coyotes and stuff is managing attractants. So I know dead stock and boneyards can be a big attractor, um, but what are some other things that might be drawing these animals closer to, to farms and ranches? Yeah, definitely. One thing I, I think is important to point out, and, and most agricultural producers understand this, sometimes people that that uh, are, are away from agriculture 
don't don't get it right off the bat, but pretty much everything on a farm and ranch is an attractant for wildlife. It just is. Um, and so we can we can address some attractants, but um, it's difficult to address all attractants. Some of the key ones, I think, you know, definitely your crops, um, both standing and stored, your livestock, um, dead stock, even your gardens, all, all of these kind of things, besides the habitat that, that farmers and ranchers provide, it all is a, a good place for wildlife to be in particularly large carnivores in many instances. So, so we, we do focus a lot on, on uh, mm -hmm. the attractants that we can manage. Um, and and it, it, is, it depends on the, on the producer and their situation as, as to what, what kind of things they can do and how much it might cost them and, and how easy it is to, to do the thing that they want, want to do to cut, cut back the risk. Um, just like a lot of risk management on, on agricultural operations, you kind of go through that, right. through that scenario of, of what's the problem and is there anything I can do about it and can I afford to do what, what might be done? Mm -hmm. That's always the challenge. <laughs> so part of the reason that we want to control all these attractants is uh, preventing getting these predators trained to find the food like they're gonna they're gonna come but we want to avoid training them to be close to the livestock or close to the farmyard so are there there's some ways to remove those track attractants and manage them what are, what are some common methods for that right so our carnivores and community program we've you know taken ideas from from lots of people including just producers trying to come up with things on their own but uh, a lot of our projects and we've in, in our area, we've, we've done um, over 100 projects now with, with uh, over 60 producers. Um, and a lot of our projects do involve uh, grain and feed storage. Um, just grizzly bears get into those kind of things. And so your old wooden grain bins that are just, they've been there a long time and they work for, for lots of things. They, they, don't, uh, they don't keep bears out very well. So, we work with people on those, but also on, on steel grain bins. Uh, wooden floors become an issue. Grizzly bears will tear those apart. So uh, um, also the doors on grain bins, uh, bears will tear those off. So uh, a lot of our projects have revolved around bear proofing feed and grain storage. And that's been through things like electric fences, brand new grain bins, um, cement or steel floors, and bear proof doors all of these things depending on the situation and even in some cases uh shipping container sea cans have been something that some producers have, have chosen to use so a lot of different ways to just try and make it so the bears can't get into those things um and then other attractants whether it be um, livestock or beehives or grain bins electric fence can be employed uh, to, to bear proof an entire area uh, calving pastures or lambing fields, all, all of those kind of things. So electric fence is another another way that we tie up some of those things. Um, and, and dead stock management is another one that we do a lot of. Yeah. So I do want to talk a little bit about the about the electric fence because when I first heard it, I was like, 
really? Because <laughs> I'm used to like those single or double wire electric fences that I'm like, I don't, I don't know about that <laughs> for fighting off bears. But so can you talk a little bit about how those electric fences are set up and what they look like? You bet. And I, I think the electric fences are our basic model that, that we, um, we encourage people to put up is pretty effective for bears, coyotes, wolves. Um, if you want to keep cougars out, you probably have to go a little higher, and, and there's some examples of that around too. But our, our basic go-to is a six-wire fence with alternating uh, hot and cold wires um, with the, the wire spacing getting gradually wider as you go a little further up. The top wire is usually um, somewhere around 44 to 48 inches. Um, and, and it, it does the trick. Um, using the, the alternating hot and cold wire, uh, you know, it's important to put a good grounding system in, but, but using that alternating hot and cold wire just gives you a little bit more guarantee that that, that, uh, that animal's gonna touch two wires. And even if uh, the ground's dry or frozen, they're still gonna get a good shot. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it, it is really effective for keeping bears out. Depends on the attractant too. Um, you know, some like you mentioned, some some fences maybe have fewer wires, and and in some cases, producers have had had some success keeping bears out. For instance, with fewer than six wires, mm. uh, and, and I think it it does depend on the attractant. So if you've got something like um, dead stock, maybe or beehives. Those can be a, just a real high attractant for a bear, and maybe you've got to have more wires. But if you're talking uh, cattle, you know they're they're a little bit more to tangle with, and and so sometimes guys get by with you know two or three or four wires. But our our recommendation is the six wire setup. It's it's a little more bomb proof. That makes sense. Um, and can we talk a little bit too about dead stock management, what, what are some of the things you guys have done for managing dead stock? Yeah, so all of these large carnivore species, you know, dead stock is pretty easy, pretty easy food, yeah, good calories. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, people, traditionally, a lot of people have just had a, a boneyard or a dead pile. Um, and, and these animals learn where those are. And uh, they, it just becomes part of their, um, part of their circuit that they, they follow. And we found that when you have attractants like that, it, it brings those animals in more and sets you up for further conflict, whether it is with your livestock or your grain bins or other things around your, your farm. And so we, we do think managing dead stock is really important. And that can be done through a lot of different things, whether it be on-farm composting or using a rendering company. Um, a lot of these things are, are really great. But for us, we, we have used part of our funding to, to create a, a dead stock pickup program in our, in our um, program area. So we, we cover dead stock pickup for producers within a, an area of 1.4 million acres running from Chain Lakes down to the border. And um, it's uh, not everybody participates, but but a lot of a lot of people do, and um, it's it's not 
it's not the silver bullet. It doesn't end all of your issues because these uh, bears and wolves and things are still on the landscape. But, but by and large, people have reported that this has been an important part of uh, of them cutting their cutting their conflict with large carnivores down. And so, we 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 cover the cost of the uh, of the um, rendering company picking up on farm, and we also have a number of. Um, dead stock bins that people can take their calves to. Uh, they can take large animals too, if, if it works out for them, but calves are a little bit easier to throw in the back of the truck and, and take over there. And then they're off your place. You don't have to wait for the truck to come. It's just done. And, uh, and so that's, that's been pretty effective for us and, and um, something that, that we continue to support as a way to, to decrease conflict. Mm-hmm. So ranchers in your area have been dealing with increasing bear populations for a long time now. So can you talk a little bit about how things have maybe changed on your operation because of that? Yeah. So I've been fortunate. I haven't really had a lot of bears in my actual farmyard getting into things at this point, um, but, but many people have. I think for me personally, um, it's just an awareness. I think a, a one of the things that we haven't really talked about yet is the safety aspect, mm -hmm. particularly with grizzly bears. And so uh, when I was a boy, um, you know, if we decided to go for a horseback ride, we'd uh, off we'd go and the worst, the worst worry was that we'd fall off our horse or something. But, but, uh, but now, you know, and when my, my children were small, um, we didn't, uh, we didn't send them out into pastures that, that I used to go to with no thought at all because there's no bears around. Um, and most of the time bears do go the other way, but, uh, but there is a, it's a brand new risk having something like grizzly bears around your family and your livestock. And so I, I think the safety thing is, is one of the biggest changes. Mm -hmm. um, you just have to adapt to that and, and, and kind of have a plan a little bit and think about it. And um, so that's been one of the changes for us. Um, also just, you know, we haven't changed a lot in our management, but, but some producers that are in higher carnivore areas, um, have made changes to their entire operations, like switching from yearling to cow calf because the, the wolf pressure on the yearlings was just too much or, um, or, mm -hmm. you know, calving in a different location in order to make it a little more secure so they could watch a little bit closer. So all of these things are tricky, but but people people step up to the plate and, and do their best to, to try and manage it for sure. Yeah. And just to I guess continue on the on the safety side of things, because we haven't talked about that much yet. Um, <clears throat> what are some things that you I guess consider with like your farmyard and going out to check cows and stuff? with the bears around. Right. So I think just an awareness, right? Because it, and I think that's one of the, one of the things that that's frustrating for producers is there's all these things you're trying to manage <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden there's one more thing and, and it's a little bit gnarly. So yeah, uh, it, it, just that mindset of, recognizing this is this is a reality for me now and um, kind of assessing your risk around your farmyard and ranch and and uh, 
looking at it with a bit of a critical eye and think what what can I do to cut that risk down um, and you know it, when you're in a national park and there's a bear in the area sometimes they'll close the trail and just say don't don't go here but that's not really an option on your farm but you yeah. can start to take some of those precautions of thinking you know do I need to make a little bit more noise if I'm in a brushy area fixing fence or um, you know if if I see some birds and maybe there's maybe there's a dead animal, um, what kind of precautions am I going to take going into the into that uh, brush to uh, to check it out? Because what if there's a bear there? Mm -hmm. um, all of those things, just kind of thinking it through. Um, another thing, I guess I'll bring up that that our, our program has done is put on bear safety workshops for farm and ranch families. Um, so we've been doing those for a number of years. The, the whole family's invited from the littlest kids to the grandmas and grandpas. And I think a lot of producers are a little skeptical going to something like this, um, including myself at first. But, uh, but we talk a little bit about bear behavior. Um, you know, what, how do we interpret the way a, a bear might be acting, whether it's defensively or aggressively? Um, and, and sort of understanding that a little bit. And, and then we do some bear safe or bear spray training um, with inert spray. Mm -hmm. and, and so everybody actually gets a chance to, to think, what's it like to have to take a can of bear spray out of a holster on your belt and point it and hit the target? And what is it actually like? And so everybody gets to do it. It's kind of one of the fun things. The little kids, you know, they like, they like blasting a, a pretend bear with bear spray and but it in, in seriousness it's it's just one more way to sort of understand the tool that bear spray is and then practice with it so that mm -hmm. hopefully i've never had to use it i hope i never do but but knowing how to use a tool is a good thing and, and just having it there can maybe maybe save some problems for for somebody and uh help a little bit so that's that's one of the other things we've do, done to try and address that safety issue for sure so what are your top three recommendations for producers when when we first start seeing conflicts or if we see an increase in conflicts like this year we've had with this freeze boss cycle up here we've seen a, a couple of bears coming out of hibernation early and that sort of stuff so what are some things you recommend when that stuff sort of happens yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, you'd mentioned this to me, and I, I thought, huh, what, what are my top three? Um, and and I, I guess I'm still thinking about it, but here's what I came up with. I, I think first off, um, it, it's, it's worth reporting. Um, sometimes producers are frustrated because it, it takes time. It's one more thing. You're trying to seed or calve or, or get to your kid's basketball game, and... Um, it can be tricky, but we do encourage people when, when some sort of conflict with large carnivores happens, we do encourage people to report it to the fish and wildlife officers. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I think that's, that's a really important first step. I think talking to your neighbors is really good too, because when, when everybody around you, when y'all know about it and share information, um, you know, I, ideas of what to do and just that awareness grows. Right. So I think it's really important. And then a little bit what I mentioned earlier, I think just planning and thinking, all right, if I'm, if I'm having these kind of problems, 
as I look around, what are the other vulnerabilities that my operation might have? And are there some ways that I could address those? Mm-hmm. Um, can, I, can I be proactive in some way before the next problem happens? Um, so I, I think having that, that kind of a plan um, and, and including the personal safety and family safety part of that plan too, I think is good. Um, and uh, yeah, just kind of sharing information and, and trying to think it through and think what you can do and some stuff you can do easy and quick and other things might, they might be a year or two in the process of trying to solve the, the issue. And one thing I would say, sometimes when the first time somebody has a problem, uh, it's, it's usually, it's pretty impactful, right? Um, and sometimes after the, the shock wears off, we, we tend to think, well, maybe this is going to be a one-off right? This isn't going, going to happen again. And that might be the case, but our, our experience generally is that once it's happened once, there's, there's a fair chance that it's going to happen again, if not this year, down the road a ways. And, and so just to try and think, what, what can you do and, um, and see if there's some help out there, right? Like in, in an instance, like for our producers, we try and make sure they know about the program because we've got 50-50 cost share on, on projects. Um, and so we're able to help people a little bit and, and soften, the, soften the pain of the cost at least and, and, and give them some ideas and, and work with people to, on their own ideas. Because different, different times producers come up with something that we haven't done before and it works for their operation and we say, hey, let's, let's give it a try. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, just out of curiosity on my part, um, do you have folks that do, like I've, I've talked a little bit with um, Joe Engelhart from down in the foothills there, and he does a lot of range riding and stuff to deal with wolves. So do you have guys in your area that are that are doing that sort of stuff? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I actually talked to Joe just yesterday. Oh, right on. Yeah. Um, so a lot of our are sort of concrete projects, you know, they, they deal with infrastructure or smaller areas, right? A cabin mm-hmm. or a farming field, but uh, we can't electric fence the whole country. And, and so in terms of protecting livestock on summer, summer range, it's a tough one, right? Um, and so what yeah. Joe does and, and other people, this, this concept of, a really focused sort of range riding. Um, it's not. It's not just I check my cows once a week, or once a day, or whatever it is. But it's um, it's trying to encourage those cattle to behave like a herd for their own protection. It's um, thinking about what sort of areas do we encourage these cattle to bed down in at night um, that might give them a little more protection as a herd from predators. Um, helping them maybe relearn some of the instinct that they didn't didn't need when there weren't predators on them, uh, but that's probably back there in their mm-hmm. DNA somewhere. And and so it's that kind of thing, or even um, an awareness of the predators. Uh, a lot of a lot of guys feel like with wolves, if um, if you're checking and you you see some wolf sign and you just kind of think, well, that's interesting, and you just keep going. 
that's one thing. But if you actually see a wolf track and then start following it, um, a lot of people think those wolves are pretty smart and they recognize that you're onto them and that you're actually watching them and it changes their behavior and makes them more wary and maybe keeps them from, from uh, killing cattle as much too. So it's all these kind of things of, mm. of uh, you know, just good stockmanship so that your cattle are, you know, good, good to handle and, and sort of healthy. And then, uh, and then trying to teach them and, and help the cattle to be more resilient in the face of, in the face of this predator pressure. Another interesting one is livestock guardian dogs. Um, you know, they're, they're used a lot on mm-hmm. things like, like sheep, um, less so on cattle, but there's, there's people doing it for cattle too. And, uh, there's some pretty good dog breeds that, that, uh, when you've got a multi-breed dog pack protecting your livestock, they can, they can take on things like, like bears, um, and wolves and, and all the rest. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different options out there. Um, they all come with a cost and for some operations, some things are just not going to work, but, but it's interesting to think about all the principles and how they might work on your operation. Right. All about adapting them to make them work for you. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, my other question, it's a little, <laughs> this is the one that's always important to ask, but it's not a lot of fun to answer, I know. Um, are there some things you've tried that haven't worked or practices that you recommend people avoid? Yeah. You know, I, I thought about this a little bit and, and I'm not, I'm not sure we've had any like complete failures that never ever do that. There's right. definitely been some tweaking. <laughs> um but, you know, when it comes to something like um, infrastructure, right, if it's bear, bear proof or bear resistant, it is. And if it's not, it's not. And, and some stuff, some stuff you'll get by, you know, for instance, you mentioned electric fence, right? You might get by with fewer wires around something. But if you really want to have a better guarantee, you're going to make sure you've got a good charger and a good ground system and six wires and tight wires and, and all of those things. Um, on, like here's a good example, I guess, on the learning. One of the very first shipping containers or sea cans that we did, um, the producer wanted to put a, you know, it had the double doors on one end and they, they split, the, uh, split the 40 foot sea can in two um, with a, a wall in the middle to put different product on each side. And so they had to put a second door in the other end. And we worked with a fabricator before and uh, thought we were all pretty clear on what constituted bear, bear proof. And when the sea can showed up with its uh, extra door in the, in the opposite end, it was a standard house door. Oh, no. Um, which maybe was okay, but we, we thought, well, you know, maybe you'd better make sure the deadbolt is always locked. But I, I'm just like everybody else. Sometimes even something that's simple, you think you're coming back in a few minutes and you don't always latch it like you should or whatever. And we had a camera up and it took about three seconds for the bear to pound the door open and get in. Um, and so we learned from that. And, and so now when somebody wants a, an extra door on, 
it's a steel door and it's got a bare bear proof latch like garbage cans do in, in the parks and it's problem solved mm-hmm. um, but we had to learn as we went and, and uh, so I, I don't know that I tried to think if there's something that I would say never ever do this but it's mostly you can do it good or you can do it better <laughs> <laughs> right. right and and uh, we're, we're fortunate to have a bunch of uh, grizzly bears around on our testing team that that are, are happy to uh, happy to try and demonstrate whether something's bear proof or not when we've done it. And, and uh, you, you soon find out if you need to uh, reinforce something a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to mention? Any fun stories or anything before we wrap up? You know, I, for the producers out there on this, I, I, I guess I would just say agricultural producers are good people. Um, most of us are just, just like me, right? Like I love ranching um, and I love wildlife, but having them both together is tricky. And, uh, and it can be really tough sometimes on top of everything else yeah. you're trying to do and market pressures and, you know, all the rest weather. But uh our experience here has been as community members have come together and tried to actually address the problems. Um, we've been able to find help, um, you know, government programs, um, wildlife groups that, that have a little bit of money to help all of these kind of things. And, uh, and it's, it's a really, uh, we're proud of it, you know, as a community. And, um, and so I think, Definitely, if, if you're experiencing problems with large carnivores, get with your neighbors and, and uh, look at what other areas, you know, like the water from biosphere or the Blackfoot Challenge in Montana or, or all kinds of other community groups are doing. Um, it's, it's a pretty good model. It, it's not, it takes a bunch of work, but it, it gives us more of that sustainable future that we want and that society wants. And, and then you've got a leg to stand on besides when when you're doing the best you can and a grizzly bear still needs to be removed, you know, put down or relocated, you've got a leg to stand on because you've done your very best. And, uh, and then, and then we as ag producers, you know, it, it, we're, we don't look like we're out there trying to get rid of all the wildlife in the world or that we hate, hate all the bears and the wolves, but we're just, we're doing our best in a tricky situation. So definitely if people are having issues, I, I just want to encourage them. Don't, don't give up. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So uh, you mentioned the Blackfoot challenge and the Waterton biosphere. Um, where can people look for more suggestions and resources? And I'll drop those links down in the, in the description of the podcast. That'd be great. Yeah. So definitely our website, uh, watertonbiosphere.com um, under, well, there's a couple, there's always more than one way to something on a website, but under the resources tab or under the um, uh, uh, projects and partners tabs, you can find all kinds of documents. We've got uh, tech documents describing the electric fence setup. We've got tech documents talking about grain bin upgrades. We've got tech documents talking about the uh, dead stock program. We've got three reports we've done over the years on all of the projects that landowners have done. And I think people, um, it's really good to look at those because each each producer um, has a story in there of 
what was their experience that led them to doing this project? Mm -hmm. And then there's numbers of how much did it cost and, and how much support financially were you able to get and, and what's the result? Is it helping or not? So I think those kind of things, we, we put them together so that producers could look at all these different examples and think there's one that's kind of what I need. So definitely, yeah, check out our website, um, the Blackfoot Challenge, uh, People and Carnivores has some really good stuff in the States. Um, also on our website, we've got a, a few other books that have been put together. One was put together by um, Alberta Conservation Association and Multisar, and, and we participated in that. It's called the Alberta Landowner's Guide to Wildlife Friendly Fencing, mm. and, and it's a great resource. Um, Western Landowners Alliance in the States has, has uh, we partnered with them a little bit and, and they featured a little bit of our work in one of their booklets that's on our website too called Reducing Conflict with Grizzly Bears, Wolves and Elk. Um, and uh, yeah, there's, there's quite a lot out there and definitely our website's, uh, yeah, anything we've got on there, we encourage people to look at and, and people can give us a shout if they've got questions and uh, we're happy to try and Oh. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this interview. There's lots of good information in there, I think. So I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. I, it's a pleasure to be part of it. And it's pretty interesting stuff. Um, you know, I, I've, I've thought if I could go back to the days when we never, ever saw a grizzly bear on our place, it would solve some problems. I'm not sure... I'm not sure I'd want to go back to that. It's, it's a pretty neat thing to think that um, as long as it doesn't put you out of business or, or hurt your family, it's a pretty neat thing to think that this wildlife is out there and that, that you're part of it. And uh, it's, it's tricky putting all of those things together, but uh, kind of exciting and interesting too. Country Beef and Forage Association is a research and extension group based out of Fairview, Alberta. Our mission is to help producers thrive in an agricultural system that is profitable, regenerative, and attractive to future generations. To learn more about what we do and see the results of our research trials or our archive of newsletters and fact sheets, check out our website at peacecountrybeef.ca. Want to get in touch? Have a burning question or a topic suggestion? Send us a message on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Thanks for listening! Thank you.